Well, greetings, greetings, and welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place, Right Crime. I am your host, Frank Zafiro, and this is an open and shut episode with Adam Bregman. Yes, folks, this is a two weeks in a row with a Los Angeles-based novelist. Uh, Although, to be fair, Adam doesn't live in Los Angeles anymore, but uh, he has quite a love affair with the city. And so between uh, Diego Ornelas Tapia last week and Adam this week, if you like the City of Angels, you're getting plenty of action here on Wrong Place or Right Crime. Uh, We'll get to Adam in just a moment, but first I want to remind you that Wrong Place or Right Crime is proudly sponsored by Down and Out Books. Down and Out Books is a mid-sized publisher of crime fiction, most of it at the darker and grittier end of the spectrum. If that does it for you, you can find out more at their website, downandoutbooks.com. That's downandoutbooks, all spelled out, dot com. Down and Out Books, take the journey with us. All right, I had a nice conversation with Adam Bregman uh, about his uh, book, Angelino Heights, uh, that takes place in Los Angeles and features the city rather heavily. And so I think you will see uh, throughout our conversation uh, that he has a great affinity for Los Angeles, uh, and he'll tell you why. Let's jump right into my conversation with Adam Bregman. Well, hey, Adam, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Very excited. So you are uh, in Los Angeles, is that correct? Uh, actually, I was born in Los Angeles and lived there most of my life, but I now live in Atlanta, Georgia for about 14 years. Oh, okay. I'm frequently back in Los Angeles. I try and get there as often as possible, but now with the pandemic, it's actually been two years. It's been the longest time since I've been back. Wow. Well, one could be forgiven for thinking you still live there, given your affinity for the, for the location itself. Yes, I am uh, generally homesick. I've been sort of getting over it, but I think about LA all the time. Uh, I was sort of planning to go there in October, but now it's it's not going to happen. And I had a book that I wanted to read about Los Angeles, and I, I just thought, you know, I'm going to put it off. <laughs> I'll wait until I'm going there again. When I'm in LA, I like to read, you know, Raymond Chandler, LA stuff, or before I go. And uh, I'm generally, yeah, obsessed with, with that city. Well, then it should come as no surprise that uh, the title of your book is Angelino Heights. Um, And I want to talk about that. But um, before we talk about your book, let's get to know you just a little bit because you have an interesting background. And and I don't have all the details, so you're going to have to correct me as we go. Um, But you have been a journalist. I mean, you had uh, uh, work appear in the L.A. Times and L.A. Weekly, among other California titles. Um, but it sounds like you were uh, more of a, uh, a for hire or an independent contractor rather than working for one of the papers. Yes, I was a freelance writer for about maybe like 13, 14 years. And I wrote quite often uh, for the LA Weekly and the LA Times. I would say in the 90s, maybe I was in their weekly. Uh, and I covered a lot of different stuff, I covered music in particular. I did film reviews uh, for the LA Times. I wrote a lot of stuff about the city, places to go in the city, generally arts features. And uh, for the weekly, I covered uh, the local music scene and all genres of music. So some of that really translates interestingly to to your fictional work. I mean, you know, writing about the city, um, because it strikes me that this is a book that features the the city or parts of the city anyway, um, you know, places very much a character uh, in and of itself. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's a neo-noir 
and it's inspired by uh, you know film noir and uh, early pulp fiction, and uh, somewhat by the great L.A. writers. But it's set in the '90s when I was there, and a lot of it takes place in um, bars. That's where the two protagonists meet. Uh, a lot of those bars have survived. Um, for some reason, bars in L.A. have lasted longer than a lot of other places, despite gentrification. Uh, I mean, the same bars that I went to in the 90s are generally still there. Uh, I mentioned a few in the book. Uh, the characters hang out in places that don't exist anymore. They also, they're both obsessed with old Hollywood, old Los Angeles, and that's how they become friends. Uh, one of them is a little bit cagey about what he does for a living whenever that comes up. He says he's in post-production, which is kind of a uh, cliche. The people in L.A. always say they're in post-production. He's not really in post-production. Uh, the other guy's a school teacher, and they're both obsessed with old L.A., and they go all over the city. And uh, the book takes place everywhere in the city, uh, some places that people will know. And then many, many places that people won't know. And it's all over the place. And LA is a big city. so. And you're talking about your main character, Dalton, and the supporting character, Nathan. Uh, yes. Nathan being the one who's in, air quote, post-production. Yeah. Um, and I, I do really want to talk about this book. But there's one other piece that I, I wanted to get to before we dive in. Um, because your love for the city kind of shines through. And you love the city enough to make a run for mayor back in 1993. Um, That's right. Could, could you tell me just a little bit about that? Well, I was uh, 21 years old. Um, Tom Bradley had retired. Uh, it was like an open election. There were 24 different candidates. Um, I was kind of an anarchist candidate. Uh, <laughs> I did. I was... Fairly serious, I guess. Um, I did have all sorts of ideas. And amazingly, um, just because I got my name on the ballot, I was able to be on TV quite a bit. Uh, I got to be in a lot of forums with all the other candidates. I spoke in uh, African-American churches in South Central. I spoke to the Jewish Businessmen's Association in the Valley. Um, it was pretty incredible. There was a thing on uh, public television where uh, we all got like two minutes to sound off about whatever we wanted. Um, so it was a really incredible opportunity uh, when I was young. So you were kind of like the Andrew Yang of the that election. Um, I, I can see that, but there were a lot of Andrew Yangs in that election because it was 24 <laughs> candidates. And uh, I wasn't the weirdest by any by a stretch. There was uh, Eileen Anderson, uh, who was the singing Irish candidate, elderly lady. There was Melrose Larry Green that people know in Los Angeles, and he stands on Melrose with different signs um, about Howard Stern or all sorts of things. And there are plenty of interesting candidates. Then there were a lot of serious candidates. And then there were the kind of the candidates that were sort of in the middle that were often stuck with us fighting to speak at, at various events. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was fun. So you were in the mushy middle of that group then you'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And, and as an anarchist, your platform was elect me and we'll dismantle government or. <laughs> um, if I remember, uh, it, it had a lot to do with empowering communities and housing homeless people. And, um, it was, it was pretty radical, I guess, you know. That's not very yeah, anarchistic, though. That's that's just right. You know, that's just radical, not not anarchy. Yeah, it was. Um, it, I, some of the anarchists that I was friends with would often ask me, like, 
can you really run for mayor and be an anarchist? I'm like, yeah, I guess that's a little <laughs> odd. Yeah, but I've always kind of been into electoral politics too. It doesn't really make any sense. There was also a socialist candidate running uh, mm-hmm. who had a full Marxist program. So, uh, Well, that's fascinating. That's uh, mm-hmm. a great life experience. And I guess that and living in the city your entire life really provided a great uh, you know, background for being able to write this book. Um, so in this book, Angelino Heights came out last September. Um, so about a year ago, uh, Dalton uh, becomes friends with Nathan and eventually falls in love with uh, a French woman named Melanie, although I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. That's right. Oh, I did say it right. Uh, I didn't put on my French accent because I didn't want to embarrass myself. But uh, <laughs> uh, but walk me through how that happens, it, you know, remaining as spoiler free as you can, of course. Sure. Um, well, uh, Dalton and Nathan meet each other in an old bar, uh, this place called The Roost, which is in a neighborhood in Atwater Village. I believe it's still there. It's kind of a dive. Uh, and they start talking. And they realize that they are both um, really into a lot of the same stuff. They start talking about, you know, old bars and restaurants um, and they become friends. They start hanging out. And um, Nathan is always a little bit weird, a little bit off, doesn't want to talk about his life much. Uh, Nathan has a lot of social issues. He's never managed to really have a good friend before. He's never had a real relationship in his life. Uh, And he says, oh, I have, I have this friend. She's this French girl. She really wants to meet you. Uh, this is kind of part of a scheme of um, Nathan's. And uh, it doesn't work out the way he wants it to. Uh, so uh, Melanie and this is early in the book. Melanie and Dalton um, start hanging out. And they don't really have anything in common. Uh, and uh, But she's Dalton, a French girl. So why not hang out with her, right? I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, she's a beautiful French girl. Uh, she hasn't been in L.A. for very long. He loves to show her the city. Um, sometimes she seems interested in him. Sometimes she do- it doesn't seem interested. And he's kind of confused by that. And there's a reason for that. But that I won't uh, spoil. Then things go very wrong by, I think, chapter three, chapter five. Something bad happens and uh, things switch up in a big way. In the description for the book, you you flat out say that she's a purse snatcher, right? Yeah, she 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 doesn't hide that. She's a former crook. Yeah, in France, she was a crook. And so he finds himself in a tough situation that ends up resulting in being chased through downtown Los Angeles. Yes, that would be uh, the the end of the book. Yes, I mean a lot of people when they write about a place, it's just the place. It's just where it's set. Oh, my city, my my book's set in Chicago. It's set in Virginia, whatever. But you've really made a point of, uh, you know, it's almost a little bit of a love letter to to your hometown. Absolutely. There's tons of Los Angeles in the book. Um, there's a lot of references that I, not everybody's going to get. You pretty much have to be born there or have lived there for a long time or heard about something to understand some of the references. There's, there's little jokes in there. Um, there's references to weird buildings, uh, L.A. history. Uh, yeah, and I, th- I think some of that stuff, it, it really helps to be from Los Angeles. But I, don't, I think if you're not from L.A. or haven't spent any time there or have never been there, I think you can just go right by that and think like, oh, that's weird. I wonder what that's about. You can look it up maybe. <laughs> so there's layers of references there. There's for the, yeah. for the general audience and then for Los Angelinos who, who really pay attention to the city, they'll, they'll get the deeper cuts. 
Yeah, even in the very beginning, there's kind of a monologue by Nathan where he's talking about being an Angelino, and he mm-hmm. references all sorts of things, uh, some things in the 80s and 90s that, uh, yeah, not everybody's going to get. Not everybody knows who Angeline or Fernando Valenzuela are. Uh, those are real LA icons. I, I don't know. Come on, man. Fernando with the, with the look skyward before every pitch. Even I know that. <laughs> I'm glad you got that. <laughs> and Angeline, who I just mentioned, is currently running for governor. She's in the recall. Huh. She's sort of a real LA icon. Oh. Well, what is it about Los Angeles that makes you love that city? Um, it's definitely that I... Uh, I uh, was born there and grew up there, and my, my family even goes way back there. But um, there are so many things that I love about that city. Uh, when, I, when I go back uh, on vacation uh, and I get to the airport, uh, immediately I'm hit by that uh, sea breeze. We don't have that in Atlanta, and it, it all, I love that. I love the airport. I love the uh, theme building, which is this gorgeous mid-century building in the middle of the airport. And uh, there are all kinds of things I love about that city. Um, I mean, just, you know, driving around, I, I get sentimental for, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll see some corner and I'll remember something that happened there. Or I can remember, you know, the, uh, the business that was there before the business that was before that, you know, someplace that I went to a hundred times or something. And uh, so I don't know. I'm crazy about the city, I'd say. Yeah. Well, because not everybody loves the town that they're from. I mean, some people, sure. they're, they're, you know, they're, you know, tramps like us. Maybe we were born to run, right? I mean, they're out of town as yeah. soon as they can get out of town and they don't look back. Or if they do, it's with maybe some negativity. And, and so your love for the city is is quite apparent. Now, you said that Dalton and uh, and Nathan are both, uh, they're, they're into like the old film history of the city. You know, is that something you can ever separate from Los Angeles or is it just woven into the fabric of the city's history too, too much to separate it out? Well, uh, for me, it's woven in, but I would guess for a lot of people, uh, tons of people have moved to Los Angeles in recent years and property values have gone up very high. And I kind of doubt a lot of those people know about it. I mean, they've probably seen some films, but uh, L.A. is prominently featured uh, starting in silent films. Um, I mean, a lot of silent films were shot in Bunker Hill, which is mentioned in my book. And then, well, films were shot all the way to 1960 when Bunker Hill was demolished. And, um, well, there's a million great films that were shot in uh, L.A. And um, I think about that stuff all the time. (laughs) And I can think about, um, you know, buildings that used to be there. But I guess for some people, maybe not. But for me, definitely. Another question for you on that front. This book is a neo-noir title. And if people think of noir, you know, traditional noir, I mean, Los Angeles is is pretty heavily uh, a piece of that, obviously. I mean, Raymond Chandler and, and uh, uh, you know, Chinatown, you know, uh, the movie and, and things like this are just, you know, inexplicably linked to Los Angeles. Pretty obvious question, I suppose, but how how big of an influence was that traditional noir on you as you wrote this book? And and then secondarily, what are some things you did to step beyond or outside of that to keep your book fresh and not just a rehash? Um, Well, I would say that all that stuff was a huge influence on me. Um, I went to the very first uh, noir fest in Los Angeles, and I've probably seen most of the film noirs, except some of the obscure, crummy ones. I don't know if there's a film noir that doesn't have, you know, some actor you've heard of in it that I haven't seen. I'm pretty steeped in that. 
But uh, since my book is set in the 90s, you know, there are a few references. Uh, at one point, uh, Nathan is into film noir, and he mentions it once or twice. But there actually is, there are not a ton of references to um, film noir in the book. I think there's a few. But yeah, it was a big influence, for sure. Well, the book is Angelino Heights. The author is Adam Bregman. Uh, Adam, uh, to close out the interview, I want to ask you, uh, first off, what's next uh, for you? And uh, also uh, how, how readers can get a hold of your book and, uh, and learn more about you. Uh, sure. Uh, my book is available online at all the usual spots. It's uh, distributed by Ingram. Uh, if you happen to be in L.A., you could pick it up at uh, Vroman's or uh, Diesel. Um, and uh, it's available in some other bookstores in some other cities here and there. But you can you can get it online pretty easily. Just put in Angelino Heights. Uh, I don't think there's any other books titled that. Um, I'm working on a book now, which I'm hoping it's going to be uh, literary fiction, but it's not quite there yet. And uh, it's about memories and how they can be deceiving. Uh, how the, in, in my book, I'm, I'm only on chapter four, but the uh, protagonist um, has a whole bunch of memories that may not be true at all. And he's trying to figure out what's what. And he's going to visit various family members because he's triggered by a story that that he's told, that someone tells him, and um, he's he's going into his past trying to figure out what the truth is. There's no crime element, I don't think, but um, I'm hoping it's literary fiction. I think that's what it's going to be. Do you have a title yet? I do. It's called uh, "What Remains of Home." It's a fascinating concept, and and not to go down a rabbit hole, but that idea of memories, uh, you know, really you know, for, even from a sci-fi angle can, can really tie into just our own existence, uh, you know, and the idea of time and, and, and what's real. And I mean, what, what is, what is our existence except what we remember? Um, you know, Blake Crouch did a pretty good job with a, a book recently on that, uh, called recursion. Uh, but it, but it's a cool, cool idea. So I'll, I'll look forward to, to what you, to your take on it. The, the other thing I wanted to say before you, before we go is it's, you know, you're a journalist turning to fiction. Last time I interviewed a journalist, I asked him, you know, is that something a lot of newspaper people, journalists, you know, want to do? And he said, yeah, a lot of them say they're going to, very few actually do. But I have noticed that when those few do, they do a good job at it because they've already, you know, they've got the discipline of writing down and they've got the craft of writing down. And, and so they don't have to start from zero. Uh, yeah, you have the uh, discipline for sure from being a, a journalist. Um, you know, being a journalist, you have deadlines. Um, I wasn't, I didn't cover news, so I didn't have harsh deadlines, but it might be like, um, you know, get me this by Saturday, Sunday. Uh, one nice thing about writing fiction, writing your own books, uh, if you don't have a publisher yet, you can do it on your own time and you can take a few years. I was thinking the book I'm writing now. I don't know how many years it's going to take me. It's already taken me a few to get where I am now. So uh, that's nice. But, um, you know, you, you, you're already used to uh, getting things into a certain uh, size. And, um, yeah, I think being a journalist for years and years has prepared me for fiction. Maybe fiction's more fun to write. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly more pliable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Adam, I want to tell you thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks a lot. Thank you very much for having me. It's fun. All right, folks, there you go. Adam Brigman and his book, Angelino Heights. 
if you like your mysteries uh, to have a real strong sense of place, then Angelino Heights is a, a great one to check out, particularly uh, if you're into Los Angeles, which let's face it, with uh, all the movies that take place there, we're all a little bit into Los Angeles, aren't we? Now, if you're digging the L.A. theme, uh, prepare to be disappointed because we are not going to go for the hat trick and have a uh, L.A.-based or L.A.-focused episode next week. Um, actually, we are going to talk to S.F. Kosa, which is a pen name for Sarah Fine, and we are going to talk to her about her book, The Night We Burned. And instead of being set uh, in Los Angeles, this one is actually set right in my neck of the woods. The main character uh, is uh, working in Bend, which is about 20 minutes up the road. And she touches on some of the cult activity that uh, took place here years ago in central Oregon. It is totally fictionalized, uh, but interesting uh, nonetheless. So that is next episode on Wrong Place, Right Crime. Quick bit of Frank Zafiro news for you. Uh, it is November, and so I am now ready to announce that Dirty Little Town, the seventh River City novel, is going to come out on November 18th. It is available for pre-order now, so get your copy. Priced at uh, $2.99, so you get it for about half price if you pre-order. Uh, on the day it comes out, uh, I'm also having a River City promotion, so uh, with the exception of the Stefan Kopriva mysteries. Everything I've written in the River City universe will be on special. Uh, several free items, including Beneath the Weeping Sky and a couple others, and everything reduced significantly. So if you're missing anything in River City besides the new book that's coming out, that'd be a great time to pick it up. That's November 18th. Mark your calendar. Dirty Little Town, book seven of the River City series coming your way. All right, I want to say thank you to Adam for coming on the show, Down and Out Books, for being the sponsor. And of course, you, the listener, for taking the time to check out this show. Uh, if you find Adam's work interesting, please buy his stuff. And I hope you're back with me next week when we talk to SF Kosa about her new book. Until then, this is Frank Zaffaro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to write crime.